We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can turn there as you're turning there. I want to remind you, church, that we are dedicating all of our giving that is designated towards missions this weekend to earthquake relief through our partners in Turkey and Syria. And we're hoping to be able to provide necessary funds for them as they seek to minister to hurting people. And so anything that is given 100% designated to missions If you're giving a gift online, you can give that and designate it towards missions. We'll go to that earthquake relief. Thank you for your faithful giving that allows us to be able to do that. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting. So as the Lord leaves, you can give in that way. Appreciate that. Also excited at the conclusion of the service, we'll recognize some new members that are joining the church. We have 22 individuals joining our church as new members here at Maranatha. And so... We'll recognize those members at the conclusion of the service. I wonder, have you ever gone to a restaurant or drive through and ordered food? If you're a husband and you've ordered food and before you order food, you've asked your wife, do you want anything to eat? And your wife, your lovely wife says, no, I'm good. I don't want anything to eat. And you ask a second time just to make sure. And the answer is no, I don't, I don't want anything to eat. And so you order your meal and you pick it up. And when you have your meal and you get home, all of a sudden there's a, a sweeping urge of hunger that comes over your wife. Who didn't want anything to eat, to eat what you have. My tendency as a husband who did my due diligence to check to make sure many times that my wife did not want anything to eat, is to say, this is mine. I asked you, and you said you didn't want any, so no, you can't have any of it. I do not recommend that, (laughs) nor would I do that, because out of love and care for my wife, I say, sure, honey, you can have some fries, Now, I've learned it's because I ordered an extra fry, because I know now. (laughs) Not really. I say, sure, honey, you can have a fry, or you can have a bite of that, or you can have some of that, because I love my wife. I would have every right to be able to say, it's mine. I asked you, you said no. But to do so would be unloving, and in many ways it would bring upon our relationship, maybe some tension that could be completely avoided. My love limits my liberty there. That's what Paul has been talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we go there this morning. It's what Paul was talking about last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you recall last week's message. And he's going to continue to remind the believer in Christ of their primary responsibility on this earth with Pastor Butch had shared week after week preceding last week's message is to glorify God. I want to pick up this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. You can follow along. If you're using your pew Bible this morning, you can follow along in that on page 956. 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, Paul's continuing to write here, and he says, Am I not free? 
Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul is continuing on his train of thought from chapter 8. And if you recall in chapter 8, there were really two key verses that I believe highlights Paul's attitude and Paul's desire for the believers in Corinth towards one another. In the context of chapter 8, Paul was answering a question, is it okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul would highlight the liberty that they have in Christ and that in Jesus Christ we've been set free from sin and there's liberty in Jesus Christ and that there's freedom in Jesus Christ. But Paul would make something abundantly clear to these believers as they were asking and as they were pursuing this. In verse 9, Paul said, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumble block to the weak. In regards to their liberty to eat, Paul says, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brothers stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul was relaying this reality to the believer in Christ that liberty should be limited by love. Our individual, personal liberty, the things that we feel we have the freedom to do and to participate in, specifically in the body of Christ that could serve as an offense to the weaker brother or an offense to a brother that we should not purposely pursue that offense, but our liberty in Christ 
should be limited by our love. Paul said, I will never eat meat if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. And we looked last week, if you didn't get a chance to be here or to hear the message, listen to the message about what is defined or who is defined as the weaker brother because there's a lot of confusion about that. But Paul makes something abundantly clear that we as followers of Jesus Christ are not here for ourselves. We are here to glorify God. The two great commandments that Jesus shared, the first was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all our mind, all of our strength. And the second was like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We are here to glorify the Lord. And so our liberty as Paul mentioned last week, should be limited by love. Now here's what I love about the Apostle Paul is Paul wasn't just someone who talked the talk. He walked the walk. Don't you love that when you see someone who not only talks the talk but walks the walk. And so Paul would be calling on these believers that your love should limit your liberty. And although you have liberty to do this, and although I have liberty to do this, I would never do that if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. I would never do that if it's going to be an offense to the gospel. And it would be very natural and very easy following that particular chapter as they're reading that part of Paul's letter for the believers there to think what so many times people think when people make bold claims or they ask people to do hard things is they say this, Well, if it was you, you wouldn't be saying that if you were in our position. What follows chapter 8 is Paul laying out in verses 1 through 18 his example of doing exactly what he's calling them to do. You see, verses 1 through 18 is the example of Paul, the apostle, sharing one area that he has chose to limit his liberty by love. That's what we've just read. Paul's going to share verses 1 through 18, and what you can build in verses 1 through 18 is Paul's example to these believers that Paul cared more for the work of the Lord than he did using his own liberty, that Paul the apostle cared more for his brothers and sisters in Christ than he did his own liberty, and he cared more by limiting his own rights and liberty out of care for the body of Christ. This is the example that Paul lays out in verses 1 through 18. Now, we're going to dive into the passage. We're going to seek to break it up verse by verse so we can have an understanding of what Paul's talking about, because I understand when we read through it first, it might be like, what in the world is he talking? He's talking about farmers, and he's talking about vineyards, and he's talking about uh, muzzle and the ox, and he's talking about what is he talking about? And so we're going to look at this, but understand the synopsis of all 18 verses is Paul sharing the example of his own life and how he is limiting his freedom and liberty out of his care for them and for the gospel. That's what Paul's doing in verses 1 through 18. His liberty was limited by his love, and that's what he's calling on these believers. And I believe the the message we need to hear this morning is that liberty should be limited by love. Liberty... Liberty should be limited by love. So let's look at Paul's example explained. First, understand verses 1 through 6. Paul's making something clear. He was worthy of financial support from the church. Look at verse, again, 1 to 6. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Paul's laying out the reality that he is sent by God. He's an apostle 
He has seen the resurrected Lord. He's been commissioned by Jesus himself to the gospel ministry. And Paul lays this out. He says, I've been sent by God. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul says, listen, there were people who were denying that Paul was an apostle sent by Christ. And Paul says, people could deny it, but you certainly can't because your life is the evidence or proof that God has used me to transform your lives. Again, it wasn't Paul that transformed them, but Paul was the mouthpiece. Paul was the one that was sent. And he says, your very changed lives are a demonstration of the effectiveness of the gospel. He says, so other people might deny this, but you can't deny this. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Verses 1 through 6, Paul lays out the reality that he was worthy of accepting financial support from the church at Corinth because of his work in the gospel. We're going to see this played out in explanation in the verses that follow. But Paul makes something abundantly clear to them. Hey, I've been sent by God to you. I am doing the work of the Lord. And the word of God lays out guidelines and principles that the one who is laboring in the presentation of the gospel, the one who is ministering the gospel with his life, is worthy of, of, of support in doing that. And he asks some questions, and they're rhetorical questions. They're not questions really that need an answer, because the answer was already a given of yes. He says, aren't we not worthy? Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Verse 5, don't we have the right to take along a believing wife? And what Paul's saying is, listen, we have a right because of the support we should be receiving from you to take along our wife with us, to take a wife and, and her be with us in our ministry because you're caring for our needs Paul says, don't we have the same right as the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and even Cephas, which is, a, is Peter, who was married and had a wife. We read about Peter's mother-in-law that was sick at one point in time. And Paul's laying this out, and he's saying, is it only Barnabas, verse 6, and I, who have no right to refrain from working for a living? See, Paul is, is sharing the, the reality that he was worthy of financial support and compensation from the church at Corinth. He's building his case. But although that was the case, Paul was not receiving any financial support from them that would allow him to quit his tent-making job. He had a freedom to receive, but he was relinquishing that freedom or that right out of his love and care for the gospel and for the church at Corinth. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But Paul was worthy of financial support from the church. Now listen, if you're a visitor today, you're here for the first time, and you're thinking, here we go, finances in the church the point of this whole section is not to, is not, Paul's point in this was not to try to lay out an established reality that he was worthy of financial compensation. They already knew that. Paul was using his, himself as an example that this right that he had and that they know he had, he set aside, he limited, he did not take advantage of because of his love for the gospel and for the church that he was seeking to minister to. Now, there's a lot of belief that one of the reasons Paul did this was because previously there were false teachers that were in it for greedy gain. 
They had soured the testimony of leadership there because they were receiving money and they were taking advantage of it. Listen, we don't have to look far in the world today to know that there are plenty of preachers, of teachers, of leaders that are leaders in the church and their goal is financial gain. There's plenty of examples of that. There's plenty of examples in the church today of people who are out to get more and more and more and more. It's money, it's money, it's money. Pastors, leaders that embezzled funds from churches. Pastors and leaders who want to live extravagant lifestyles. Pastors, leaders in the church who care more about the dollars in their bank account than they do the people in their congregations. There are plenty of examples of that. And many believe Paul was not taking full advantage of the right to receive financial compensation for his work as a minister of the gospel because he knew to do so would bring into question his preaching to these individuals who had already experienced false shepherds that were trying to come in. Many believe that his receiving of this would have been a block. It would have been a blocking to the reception of the gospel, in particular at the church at Corinth. But whatever the case may be, Paul was sharing the example, the reality that he was worthy of this. And then Paul defends his right to this in verses 7 through 14. He makes his case. Now Paul's going to make something abundantly clear in verse 15, that he's not sharing these things. This is why I was telling you, this passage, this section, the point of this, the desire Paul had in this was not to try to give them instruction about caring for their leaders because they already knew this. That's why in verse 15, Paul says, I don't share this with you because I want you to reconsider and start supporting me. He's laying out for them an example, the reality of his liberty limited by his love. But Paul's going to defend his right for this, and he's going to remind them of why the scriptures are necessary and what the scriptures teach concerning caring for leaders, caring for those that are ministering the gospel. He's going to defend his right to this. He already did that in his opening section of verses, verses 1 through 6. He already gave some examples, and he's going to give some more. He's going to defend his right. He's building his case. Years ago... One of my daughters wanted a cell phone, and she didn't have a cell phone at the time. And so in her desire to get a cell phone, she put together a PowerPoint presentation of why she should be able to buy a cell phone, or why I should buy her a cell phone, because she ain't got no money at the time. And so she put together a PowerPoint presentation, and I forget exactly how old she was. I think she might have been 12 or, or 13, maybe but she put together this PowerPoint presentation, and Shoshana and I are sitting on the couch the one day, and she came into the room, and she said she wanted to show us something, and we're like, okay, and she flipped open her computer, and she pushed play, and she began to walk through a PowerPoint presentation of all the reasons that it would, and some of it included benefits to us as parents, of course, of why it would be a benefit for her to have a cell phone. She was defending her reasons of why. And so it was a fantastic presentation. It really was. And so I told her, even afterwards, I'm like, that was really well done. Those are some great points. But you're not getting a cell phone. Okay, That's, what I, that's how that ended. Okay? That's how that ended. And, and I, I don't want to date myself. It wasn't a cell phone. It was a smartphone. She wanted a smartphone. Okay? And, uh, and so great presentation, great points. Uh, but the, the reality was she was not the authority in making that decision. 
I was, my wife was. And so as many reasons as she wants to bring up, as many things as she wants to conclude, it didn't matter because the authority didn't rest with her. This is where it's the same and different of what Paul's doing here. Paul is going to defend his right to receive financial support from this ministry, from this church. But he's going to do so based upon the authority of what God has said. Not his own seeking, not the opinions of men, but on what God has said, what God has designed, and what God has instituted. He's going to defend this right. So there are a number of things that Paul reminds them of. We already talked about the one. He was an apostle. He was sent by God. You see that in his opening verses, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I was an apostle sent by God. You are, my, you are my workmanship. You are the ones that show forth this reality. He shares with them that other ministers of the gospel were supported by their labor. He uses other examples. He uses Peter as an example. He uses the other apostles as an example of this. He shares that it was the standard that's found universally in the world. Look at verses 7 and then verse 8. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? These are examples Paul's giving. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Paul gives three different examples that everybody would understand. He says, consider the soldier. The soldier that is commissioned for duty and he's sent out to fight in a war. The soldier that is sent out to defend and to fight. And he says that soldier earns his living, earns his keep, is supported because of his work as a soldier, we understand that. We understand what that means. And he says, look at a soldier, the soldier that goes to fight, the soldier who serves. Does he serve at his own expense? No. He is provided his uniform and his uh, equipment, and he is provided his food and his lodging. He's serving on the battlefield, and he's taken care of while he's doing that. Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? The one who plants a vineyard, and he wants to be able to eat of its fruit. I remember when I was a kid, I, I had a friend who uh, would frequently have a bunch of the guys over. We'd play football outside, and we used to just destroy each other. I'm amazed there weren't more broken bones thinking about how we used to play football. And, uh, and we would watch sometimes uh, different games at his house, and there would be half a dozen of us in this room. And I remember his dad would always order pizza for us when we were over there. And I remember his dad would order pizza, and his dad would normally just buy the pizza if there was only one or two of us. But when there was a group of like six to eight, everybody would chip in money to buy pizza. And so I remember we were over there. I remember to this day, we all pitched in money to buy this pizza, and we ordered the pizza. Pizza came. We all chipped in. The pizza was there. And then my friend's dad came into the room where the pizza was, and he took a piece of pizza. And one of my buddies spoke up. He was like, hey, you didn't pay for that. We paid for that. And everybody got quiet. And he looked and he said, this is my house. You're watching my TV. You didn't buy that TV. You didn't pay for that. You didn't pay for that. He said, I can have a piece of pizza in my house. It's my house. He was saying he has a right to this. He has a right to this because we were in his house. We were in his domain, if you will. Paul's making this same argument when it comes to his preaching the gospel and his ministering of the gospel in the work of the Lord, that the Lord established it, that as you're doing his work, you're supported for the work that you're doing. The one who plants a vineyard that would eat of his vineyard, it would, he would drink of his vineyard because it's his vineyard. 
Can you imagine how crazy if one of the workers in the vineyard was picking grapes and the owner of the vineyard wanted a grape and he said, you didn't pick that. It's his vineyard. He has a right to it because of it being his. The one who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. He gives these three examples of a farmer, of a shepherd, of a soldier. And he says, we understand the reality that the one who is working is worthy of what his labor produces to receive from that. Paul then goes on to say, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? It was the standard according to the law of God. Paul highlights this. It was the standard of the law of God. He says, it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And he quotes Deuteronomy, where in Deuteronomy it speaks about the ox that is treading out the grain. That's a whole process we don't have time to talk about this morning. But look it up, treading out the grain. And he says that when you have an ox that's treading out the grain and it's hard work, you don't put a muzzle on the ox that forbids the ox from eating as he's doing this work. No, you want him to eat. You want to allow him for maintaining his strength and reward for the work that he's doing. This was commanded in the law of Moses. And Paul says... This isn't just on human authority. God's authority even shows this. But here's what's interesting. is Paul then says, you shall not muzzle the ox. But then he says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Look at the end of verse 9. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? You know what Paul's asking here? He's saying, hey, back in the book of Deuteronomy... The law of Moses, when God says don't tread the ox as he's, or don't muzzle the ox as he's treading out the grain, is he saying that for the benefit of the ox? No, it is for the benefit of the ox, but is that why God is saying that? No, look at what Paul says. He says, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? It was a standard according to the law of God, and it was a standard according to the Lord himself. It was a standard that God himself had shared. He says, verse 12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. This was the standard that the Lord himself commanded. Now, let me just explain this to you and summarize all of these verses up to verse 15, what Paul's doing. Paul was doing this in the context of liberty, his liberty because of love. He's using himself as the example. He builds the case to the church at Corinth that Paul has every right according to the law of God, according to the command of the Lord, according to the very established reality of life and the laborer being worthy because of the work that he's committed, that Paul has every right as a minister of the gospel to ask the church at Corinth to support him in such a way that he is fully taken care of as he ministers the gospel. That's his right. Paul says that. He makes it clear. He defends it. There was no doubt in their minds or in Paul's that he was worthy of this. Now, let me pause for a minute and tell you, as a, as a pastor at Maranatha Bible Church, I am so thankful that you as a congregation, as a church, care for us as pastors. You provide for our needs. 
God uses you in tremendous ways to do that, and I thank you for that. You should be um, thanked for that. You should feel good about that because you are following what God commands in the word of God to care for those that are ministering the gospel to you, and I thank you for that. You have been faithful in your giving. This is not an indictment on Maranatha Bible Church. This was Paul sharing his right to the church at Corinth that he was worthy to be supported by the gospel. That is why as a church we believe that it is, uh, it is right and good according to the word of God to provide for our pastors, to provide for those that are ministering the gospel, to provide for our missionaries that have been called by God to do the work of ministry. That's why there is financial support for those that have dedicated their lives to full-time gospel ministry. It is supported biblically. It's commanded by God. And it's a universal standard we not only see in the world for the laborer being worthy of his hire, but also it's commanded by the Lord himself. And so thank you, church, for the way that you uh, obey that command and for the way that you support those that are ministering the gospel here. But you see, Paul's building his case. Now, after building this case and making it abundantly clear that he had this right, it was his, that he had every right to ask for this, as did others, he had every right to expect this, Paul then makes it clear that he's limiting his freedom and his right because of his love. Because of his love. He says in verse 12, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul says we are willing to endure and put aside this right because we do not want to put a stumbling block in the way of the gospel. So for first we see in limiting his freedom, he didn't want to be a stumbling block for the gospel. Paul makes that clear. Now I've already talked about what they believe some of the reasons for this were. Very sensitive time at the beginning of the church. Very sensitive time as the church was being established and the gospel was going forth. And, and Paul was working in a very hard area, ministering in a hard area. And he did not want in any way, shape, or form to be a hindrance to the gospel. So even though he had that right, Paul said, I don't want to be a stumbling block. So he relinquished that right out of love. Two, he says his joy was found in his preaching and his labor as one called by God. Verse 15, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul says, listen, uh, I'm not writing these things in hopes that you'll respond and be like, hey, Paul, we were wrong. Here's your check. That's not why he's writing these things. He says, I'm not writing these things because I'm hoping you'll change your mind here and start sending me support. No, he says, I'm writing these things just to let you know that I am not taking advantage of these things because of my love, because of my desire to boast in Christ, because of my desire to see you grow in Christ. His joy was found in his preaching and in his labor as one called by God. He wanted the joy of boasting in the Lord and not in the riches of this life. You remember earlier on we read Paul said if we are sowing eternal or spiritual things, is it a big deal if we're reaping material things from you? He's saying, listen, we are doing something that is an eternal work. I don't care about the temporary things. I'm focused on the eternal things and so should you be. Paul, again, showing himself as the example here. His motives were pure. His heart was right before the Lord. 
And he wanted no confusion over this. He says, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full Use of my right in the gospel. Paul's summary statement there. He says, I am not making use of my full right in the gospel. This is the example that Paul is setting. He sets the example of limiting his own freedom and his own rights out of his love and care for the work of the gospel and for the church. His liberty was limited by his love. So with all this in mind, let me bring this to a point of conclusion. Let me just give us three truths to consider as we wrap this up. Number one, Christian liberty can oftentimes serve as a roadblock in the body of Christ. Christian liberties can oftentimes serve as a roadblock in the body of Christ. It was serving as a roadblock in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul was admonishing them and reminding them of not only their liberty, but of love. Paul was reminding them that knowledge puffs up, but knowledge in love builds up. Paul's reminding them again of their chief responsibility to glorify God and to not glorify self. Understand Christian liberty can oftentimes serve as a roadblock in the body of Christ. Can I challenge you today, believer in Christ, do not allow your liberty to serve as a stumbling block to those that are needing to grow in Christ. Because too often it can. Number two, our personal liberty should not be our top priority. If you and I as believers in Christ have our personal liberty as our highest priority, our priorities need to change. Our Christian liberty should never be our top priority I think about the Super Bowl. Those of you that watched the Super Bowl, there was a running back named Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon was his first time in the Super Bowl. If you watch that game, at the end of the game, the Chiefs were only up uh, by a couple points. I don't remember how many points they were up by, but he had the ball, and he was running, and the defense kind of was going to let him score a touchdown. I think they were up by one point or, or somewhere around there. And the defense was going to let him score a touchdown because they wanted to get the ball back. If they get the ball back, they would have a chance to be able to tie the game uh, and send it into overtime. If Jarek McKinnon would have taken that in and ran it in for a touchdown, the other team, the Eagles, would have got the ball back and they could have tied the score. But if Jarek McKinnon slid before he got in the end zone, the game would be over. They'd be able to run the clock out. And I remember watching something after the Super Bowl and they said, think about this. And from the time... He was a young boy. He dreamed of playing in the Super Bowl. And can you imagine the story of a young boy, desired to play in the Super Bowl, gets his chance, and he has an opportunity to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And as Jarek McKinnon had that ball, and he was running, and it was wide open for him to score, he slid and surrendered himself so that the team could secure the win in that game. It was a prime demonstration of humility in caring more about the team winning than he did about himself scoring a touchdown. That is what Paul is calling the believer to do for one another. Our liberty should not be our top priority. Our top priority is to glorify God. And if the way that we must glorify God is by limiting our liberties with love 
let us limit our liberties by love because our top priority is not ourselves. Number three, love for the Lord and his church should limit our individual liberties. It is not about us. You don't hear that often in our culture today. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Contrary to the belief in our society today, even Burger King has a slogan, you are king. You rule. You rule. You don't rule nothing. God rules. God is in charge. He just matters more. So knowing that, the liberty that we have in Christ, because of Christ, should be limited by our love. 